Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. The rumors are true. It is Friday, and we're glad you're with us on the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool's ready. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Jim, we actually start with the economy today. Um, a lot of folks thinking that there will be a recession this year. There might be. We'll find out about that as, as time goes on. Uh, you could certainly argue that we had a recession last year with two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth before the media and all the Democrats decided that wasn't the real definition of a recession. But uh, good news in December. Uh, job numbers surpassing expectations and the unemployment rate uh, remaining pretty nice and low. Here's Rick Santelli over at CNBC. The jobs creation for the month of December, 223,000, 223,000. We continue to see these numbers get closer and closer to 200, but historically, these are still good numbers. And if we look at manufacturing payrolls, manufacturing payrolls increased about 8,000, darn close to expectations. 3.5% on the unemployment rate, 3.5%. That equals the best levels we've seen post-COVID, historically unbelievably good. And of course, if you're looking at the Fed, maybe it's unbelievably bad in that twisted relationship we now have due to the Fed raising rates trying to slow down the economy. Well, and speaking of the Fed, there's also some indications that inflation might be slowing a little bit more. And that's due to, of course, uh, the interest rate hikes that we've seen, which carry their own negative economic repercussions. So, uh, Jim, by no means are we out of the woods, but whenever you beat expectations on something you want to beat expectations on, you know, you'll take it and go. Yeah, look, you know, we talk about being uh, wanting what is best for the country on this podcast and job growth and job creation are good. And, you know, it's much less important than uh, whether this is going to be, you know, Joe Biden's going to get credit for it or something like that. I'd always rather see the American people prospering than not prospering. Now, the question is, does this kind of job growth make it tougher to control inflation? We will get updated numbers in the consumer price index. They haven't been as bad. They had been in the middle of last year. We will see more as you know 2023 gets rolling. Um, but all in all, there's been some one of these stories of the past year has been that despite inflation that I think just about every single American feels, and in some ways feels a great deal, particularly if you go to the grocery store and, you know, uh, certain items like eggs being, you know, much more expensive than you can ever remember them being before. Um, and also a couple of days ago, I had noted that, yes, you know, gas prices are down from uh, earlier in the year by this time, the standards of this time of year, Christmas to New Year's around then, this is a significantly higher price than most people are paying, at least when you look at the national averages. So you add all that up, you're like, oh, you know, this is not good economically. And yet people are still hiring. Jobs are still being created. People are still uh, joining the payrolls and paying payroll taxes. And all of that is good news. Uh, and so we'll take it where we can get it. You know, I don't want to say it's a rebuilding day for the good martini, but uh, some, you know, sometimes we have to lower our standards here and this will do just fine for today. You always want to beat expectations. And that was uh, achieved. Some are pointing out that expectations are consistently going down and so it takes less and less to meet them or exceed them but nonetheless they are exceeded for the month of december kudos to uh, the job creators for still doing so and wage growth did not meet expectations which is also important to keep in mind nonetheless 
you're going to get the president and his allies, Ron Klain on Twitter and everybody else saying, oh, this is the Inflation Reduction Act. This is the success of our agenda. I'm not ready to go in that direction yet. I think it's the uh, market system working in some cases despite that. But if things are improving, things are improving. And uh, generally when that happens, uh, the people in office uh, tend to get the credit. But if you uh, think that we're going easy on Joe Biden today, give us about a minute. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And if, like we said before the break, if uh, all of a sudden folks think we're going easy on Joe Biden, uh, just wait. And here we are at his immigration speech from Thursday. We mentioned on our way out yesterday that uh, he was blaming the Republicans for everything. And we'll get to that in in just a second. Uh, The president has finally decided that things aren't all hunky-dory at the border. Um, Although you still have Alejandro Mayorkas saying the border is secure and that we are enforcing all of our border laws. That is a bald-faced lie. But uh, beyond Mayorkas, here's Joe Biden yesterday because he's trying to install a few new policies. Uh, First of all, he uh, tends to mock the right-leaning explanation of why hundreds of thousands of people are coming to the border illegally every single month. It's not like people have heard me say it before. It's not like people are sitting around a table and somewhere in, in Central America say, I got a great idea. Let's sell everything we have. Let's give it to a coyote, a smuggler. They'll take us on a harrowing journey for thousands of miles to get to the United States. Then we're going to legally cross the border. They're going to drop us in a desert and we're faced where we don't speak the language. Won't that be fun? Except that's exactly what's happening in most of these places around the world in some form or fashion. Uh, then he's also talking about uh, interdiction because... Uh, some smugglers have been arrested and more drugs have been apprehended, uh, that uh, the border security operation is a success instead of the the reality that they're really just getting a fraction of what is pouring across as our border patrol is completely distracted by the human tide. Uh, But he doesn't even have his facts straight. I don't know if this was wrong in the copy or this is just typical Biden not being able to spit it outright, but here's his uh, supposed fact on fentanyl. For example, since August of last year, Custom and Border Patrol have seized more than 20 thousand pounds of deadly fentanyl that's enough to kill kill as many as a thousand people in this country it's enough to kill the entire planet several times over actually a lot more than a thousand people you have officers ODing just because of dust on dollar bills from fentanyl for heaven's sake and then of course as we mentioned jim yesterday uh it's not his fault that five million people are suddenly crossing the border illegally in the last less than two years it's always the republicans fault They can keep using immigration to try to score political points, or they can help solve the problem. They can help solve the problem and come together to fix the broken system. Before Congress adjourned for the holidays, some Democrats and Republicans, a few of them, got together, both sides up in the Senate, and decided they were going to put together a comprehensive plan on immigration. But the Republican leadership and other Republicans, I don't know who exactly who did it, rebuked it and rejected it out of hand. It broke up. Just like they rejected my plan two years ago. And that's because your plan eventually leads to amnesty because it always calls for a pathway to citizenship for people who broke the law to get here. So, Jim, the president is uh, headed to the border this weekend uh, to take that talking point away from the right. Is he actually serious about this? Is there actually going to be uh, a, a genuine no. discussion look, look, here? What's going right on right there. No. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. But, I, you know, I've gone back and forth on whether how much it matters if Biden goes to the border because um, his the fact that he has not done so during you know the first two years of his presidency 
is both symbolic and I think reflective of an attitude of, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, the Bi President Joe Biden is convinced that whatever's happening, the border is secure, as he keeps asserting, uh, that he and his team and his administration are doing a great job at this and that anybody who is making these criticisms is doing so in bad faith, that the record numbers of apprehensions and contacts with others at the southern border is nothing out of the ordinary. It's a seasonal pattern, as he assured us. Uh, very at the very beginning, and then of course they started hitting you know new highs month after month, well outside of one particular season. And so, you know, Republicans and and critics of his policy have good reasons to come. You know, go there and see for yourself. We're not making this up. On the other hand, I think we all kind of know deep in our guts that Joe Biden going there wasn't going to have this revelatory moment. It wasn't going to be, you know, the end of the usual suspects where he drops his coffee cup <laughs> and he suddenly realizes that the border has been insecure and that his policies have been failing for quite some time and that the combination of a vociferous critique of the uh, Trump administration's policies coupled with various rhetoric, sometimes from Biden himself during the presidential campaign, sometimes from other members of the administration, sometimes from general Democrats have created this perception in Central America that the United States is no longer in the border enforcement business. And that in the end, if you are in that country and you don't like your life there, you can come here. You can find a better life here. Now, we, we do welcome legal immigrants, but there's a process. So you have to file all the paperwork. You're going to have to wait. It can be very frustrating, no doubt about it. But the correct solution is not to just sneak over the border and start getting paid under the table and start living your life as an illegal immigrant here in the United States. There's not very little about this debate has changed over the past two years, over the past six years, over the past decades. It's been talked to death. We, the only, you know, the question is now, what do you want to do about it? What do you actually want to, you know, change? Uh, you know, there's, I, I think there's room for a deal amongst a lot of Republicans in Capitol Hill. Yeah, we could deal with dreamers. We could give people a path to citizenship if they really have a, you know, they have no criminal record, they've kept their noses clean, literally and metaphorically, and they are, you know, um, you know, gonna, if you're willing to actually secure the border, and that includes fencing, that includes greater manpower, that includes shutting off what is effectively an open door. And the Biden administration has never wanted to do that. So that's where we are. We're going to end up going in the circle. So I'm glad the president's going to the border. No, I don't expect it to change much of the policy. And in fact, it sounds like the purpose of this border trip is for him to continue insisting everything I'm doing is fine. There's nothing I need to do. And if there are people coming over the border, well, it's all Republicans' fault anyway. Here's the thing. He also talked in his speech yesterday about, you know, immigration. This used to be a bipartisan issue. And darn it, it's just not anymore. And it's all the Republicans' fault. Well, let me tell you why so many Republicans don't want to go along anymore. Because they went along in 1986. It was Simpson-Mazzoli. President Reagan signed the bill. The issue was amnesty for 3 million people in the country illegally for strong border security. One of those things happened, the other one didn't. Guess which one didn't? The border did not get secured. And so it's, you know, back to the old classic George W. Bush line, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. <laughs> fool me, you can't get fooled again. You know, so until you actually see the border secure, and, you know, if 5 million people are coming with legitimate asylum claims, which they are not, 
not even close, then you need to redefine asylum because <laughs> that, if, if that's the uh, the threshold for asylum, uh, then uh, it, it's simply unsustainable and uh, people are simply taking advantage of a system where the border is open. You need to kick these people back, not let them into the country and sit around for years while their case is adjudicated. And so that just keeps happening and happening and happening. And you got a lot of people on the right who are not going to play that game or anything involving legalization of people who came here illegally until the border is actually secure. Not promised to be secure, but actually secure. And that's where the, that's where the divide is happening. And I'm not sure how you bridge it. No, you know, of all the people in American political life who could handle this kind of high stakes, highly intense, you know, emotionally fraught, you know, issue being negotiated to a conclusion, Joe Biden is not that guy. No, 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 and I'm not sure uh, with the close divide in Congress that uh, anything's going to happen on that. Uh, you can do, do a little bit piecemeal, maybe, maybe, but uh, you know, Biden's goal here is the same as the left's goal, and that's to um, make citizens and thus voters out of a lot of people who came here illegally. All right, on to our final martini now, Jim, and you know, the left and their redefining of words is quite something. Mike Lachance over at Legal Insurrection first discovered this, but hats off to Jazz Shaw over at Hot Air for flagging it, and that's where we saw it. Uh, we know about uh, the whole transgender movement and uh, all sorts of different uh, redefining of words. Now we've got trans age, trans age activists that claim age is just a social construct. And just because somebody might be biologically 18 years old doesn't mean they identify with that age. In November, a Twitter account shared a thread about what trans age is and why trans age people want to be widely accepted into society. It sounds like something straight out of a dystopian novel, according to the writing over at Legal Insurrection. Uh, Jim, uh, it's it's funny on, on one level, just, you know, because this whole effort to erase reality just keeps going into more absurd angles. But when you start changing ages, it's not just, you know, people who are pushing 50 want to be 40 again or something like that. This huge thing we're seeing right now with uh, whether or not kids should be sent to you know surgeries to change their gender and that sort of thing. All of a sudden, if this movement gains traction, 14, 15-year-olds could identify as 18 and then all of a sudden they're adults and that sort of thing. So I don't know exactly where they want to go with this, but it just uh, seems to be spiraling in a bad direction. So you saw this, and I, my, you know, like a lot of other readers, my first thought is this, this has got to be some joke, right? Um, we've all heard the the old adage, never ask a woman of her age, right? You know, um, as we get up there in years, I'm sure there are a whole bunch of people like, huh, I wouldn't mind being trans age. You know, I'm 47, but no, I, I really, I feel 35. You know, you want to be, you, um, the idea of, you know, uh, lying about your age or misleading about your age, um, that, that's almost second nature in, in large portions of our uh, culture. The problem is there are people who have interest in those who are under the age of consent. And they want to make that normal. They want to make that, I think ultimately, eventually legal. They want to make that not so taboo. And we have those laws in place. We have those rules in place uh, for a good reason. Now, I am the uh, father of a teenager and one soon-to-be teenager. When you have a teenager, you have all kinds of fights about why am I not old enough to do X? whether it involves trips or sleepovers or all kinds of other kinds of behaviors. And the short answer is there are certain things in our society we've deemed appropriate for adults, and there are certain things we've deemed for, you know, appropriate for kids. 
And there's in that area, area when you're a teenager where you're kind of in the middle. And I remember, you know, growing up and having this sense of, you know, Greg, am I correct? You start paying, you know, adult prices at movie theaters when you're like 12, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but you can't vote till you're 18. Can't drive till you're, I think, you know, is it 15 or 16 is the learner's permit? And then after that, you know, don't get your driver's license. Can't be 21 to drink. And I believe, you know, they stop charging you extra charges uh, at the rental car place when you're like, what, 25, 26 if you're a guy? You yep. Know? That's that's when you're truly an adult. You know, that's the last threshold that you have to uh, pass to be trusted by the rest of society. But in other words, these you know, now you could argue that some of these stand these you know ages and these you know thresholds are, are arbitrary. I'm sure we've all encountered you know younger teenagers who are very mature for their age, and I'm sure we've met plenty of people over the age of 18 who do not act like grown adults and who <laughs> act like children. The bottom line is society has got to draw the line somewhere, and those lines are there for a reason. This is the consensus we've come to. If you wanted to argue that, you know, you should change the law, you can do that. But I don't think you should go with the idea of like, well, you're going to invent that the well, we're trans age is just a number. That's usually what's said by old people like us trying to be in denial about how old we actually are. <laughs> age is just a number. It's not going to be a good defense in front of the judge. No more than, well, officer, she looked 20. None of this is going to work. The, the law is the law. The standards are the standards. And it is very tough to believe that promoting out this idea of being trans age uh, is an attempt to work around this. Also kind of that notion of, um, as we continue to find people who are uh, genetically, biologically, racially white and who keep inventing, you know, having Rachel Dolezal moments or Elizabeth Warren moments where they in invent out of whole cloth this identity with some other ethnic group or culture. Now, if you want to you know, say, I'm really into that culture and I really find it fascinating, great, good for you, enjoy it. But if you begin to say, well, I'm this and really you're that, I think a lot of people feel like that's a little bit of um, dishonesty. That's a little bit that it's not just dishonest. It's um, uh, it's claiming something for yourself that you you haven't earned. And oh, by the way, I think it was, it was the New York Times. Somebody had done some report on people who do those genetic tests and they you know think their their heritage is one thing and then they find out that's another, uh, and they just kind of flip out because their entire sense of identity has been wrapped up in this idea of oh, I'm part of this group, I'm not a part of that group. Either way. You can't be trans age. Your age is what it is. If you feel like a different age, terrific, but don't try saying that to a judge. <laughs> yet, yet. I mean, you can change your gender on your driver's license now in some states, but I think the Dems are going to like this, Jim. I don't know how much traction this is going to get because, again, um, the society has to has to stand up for reality at some point. But, you know, they, you've seen in local jurisdictions, I think some around D.C. even, where they let 16-year-olds vote in municipal elections and so forth. Well, if you get a bunch of high school students who suddenly identify as 18, your Democratic turnout model is going to look pretty good. True, true. Uh, you know, I, I've seen localities where they allow you to vote in a primary if you're going to be 18 by the time the general election rolls around. I don't have a huge objection to that. I figure there can't be that many people who would qualify for that category. Um, but I do kind of am left scratching my head. Like, we have these thresholds, these barriers for a reason. If you want to lower the voting age to 17, go right ahead. I don't think you'll actually uh, find a lot of support for that. You know, I we have to draw these lines somewhere. And I don't, you know, again, now that I spend more time with teenagers, <laughs> I have a crystal clear vision of the flaws in their thinking, much as I love them very, very much. Um, you know, the idea that, you know, I, we've had this 18 threshold since... Uh, Back in the 70s, right? Yeah, the 26th so, Amendment like, when you let people vote fine. at 18. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's worked fine. There's no reason to say, oh, 67, because everybody gets their chance once they turn 18. 
Um, and that's, you know, at 16, 17, you can you know, be active, you can knock on doors, you can support a candidate, you can be as invested and passionate as you like. Although honestly, thinking, you know, in keeping with my Washington Post op-ed from earlier this week, at 18, you probably should have other interests besides politics. <laughs> I would hope so. Uh, but, you know, if your teenager insists that they are 18, you can start charging them rent. So that would be good. Yeah, yeah for you. <laughs> Uh, we haven't talked about it today, Jim, as we uh, talk now. I think this is ballot 12 going on in the House of Representatives. I haven't heard anything of a, an agreement, so I'm assuming McCarthy's going to lose again. I'm getting to the point now where I think there should only be a pool reporter to this, and it should be Phil Connors uh, from Groundhog Day, because the same thing keeps happening day after day after day. That's I was going to say, um, <laughs> one of the correspondents had said, wouldn't it be just easier to have the clerk say, has anyone changed their mind? <laughs> and then you could be done in like 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Fun times. Well, maybe we'll have one on Monday. Maybe. Jim, see you then. See you Monday, Greg. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell a friend about us as well. We'd love to have them with us as well. Thanks for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Also, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Launch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.